Welcome to the Nifty Podcast presented by Partyfish Media, a showcase of the best emerging filmmakers under the age of 25 from all over the world. Film starts here at the virtual Nifty 2020 from Seattle, Washington. Hi, everybody. My name is Robert Spiewak Bohorkas. I am part of the programming team for Nifty 2020. Uh, and today I am joined by the writer and director of a short uh, Steps of Valor or Pasos de Valor um, that is in our powerful grit screening this year. Uh, Natalia, would you introduce yourself for everybody listening? Yes. Hi, everyone. So my name is Natalia. I'm the director of this short that is about um, a woman who is an MBA student whose exam conflicts with her due date, and her professor is very unaccommodating. So Mm -hmm. she has to find a way to push through that. Um, I'm somebody who was born along the South Texas border. I grew up on the East Coast. um, And I think that something that I'm really interested in is really like women who rise up. I'm very, that's been a large part of my family. I've had a lot of women who rise up in my family. And so that's a big part that also uh, governs the type of work that I'm interested in. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And so to kind of jump off from there, since um, you gave us kind of a short description of the film, um, what is kind of, and I know the answer from your director's statement, but for everybody listening, you know, where is the inspiration of this story from? The inspiration of the story comes from my mother's experience. So my mom was uh, getting her MBA. She was pregnant at the time. She experienced something very similar to what's depicted in the film, Mm -hmm. even breastfeeding me in the hallway in the middle of her exam. And I think for me, this was a story that I heard about for years Mm -hmm. growing up. What I realized, I think more recently, how this story started to seem more of a tale about access about the maybe added barriers um, that are for certain types of students that maybe institutions aren't accounting for. Um, And so I really started to see this as more of like a story of also like heritage. Um, And that really governed the whole process. So the story is about, you know, my character is trying to change what, you know, her child or her, you know, her children might be experiencing, Mm -hmm. you know, in their life. Um, She's reflecting on the things that she has sort of inherited from her mother, uh, Vera, who's played by Bonnie Barrios. The main character is played by Natalie Carvalho, um, super talented person. And so basically heritage was a huge part of this whole picture. I think even in the act of making the film was my own thought about, you know, how I can uh, be active and active participant in kind of shaping my own viewpoint on my heritage. And then behind the scenes, what was really important to us is that I wanted to make sure if this was about kind of reflection and then also changing heritage for the future, Mm -hmm. um, I wanted to make sure that those elements were part of what was the process behind the camera. So what I'm really proud of about this story also was that 62% of our crew were women, 50% were people of color. Um, And so I think even for us, this was a film that I made during my uh, final year at New York University where I was getting my undergraduate degrees. And so I think there's a lot of times in film school where the same lack of diversity or inclusion or access is also mirrored even in the schools that are developing emerging talent. And so that was something the whole team really wanted to reshape specifically in this project. Yeah, and I mean, and I love that um, that's kind of that that kind of heritage and like just generational differences is part of the story, too. You know, there's kind of the um, there's the the mom and the grandma bumping heads, um, you know, about like who almost just 
it's kind of a pointless argument, you know, who's working harder for their family kind of conversation. Um, and so I guess, like, what do you think is kind of the importance for in terms of, you know, whether it's any kind of representation or just from a storytelling perspective in in using kind of generational uh, conflict as kind of like a driver of story? That's a great question. I think for me personally, I feel very strongly that so much of what, um, when I look forward, I also kind of carry the history that has informed me Mm -hmm. and has given me certain types of privilege and access and uh, certain struggles that I feel like within my own body and from, you know, my family members who have done things for me or the people before me. So I feel like that's something that I carry with me every day and all the time and in every space that I go into. And I think what makes that complicated is that you you admire so much of what the people before you have given to you and you want to honor it and you want to honor them in Mm -hmm. particular. And so I think there's that. But then sometimes I think you also look at what maybe the other types of traditions that they passed on to you and you start to think, I don't know if that, if I want to carry that one forward, or Mm -hmm. I don't know if that particular tradition serves me in the same way. I think in some ways that's like a big, huge conflict between Vera and Val is because I think Val wants to carry forth the same idea of um, hard work, of work ethic, of uh, striving and, um, and sacrifice that her mother has kind of ingrained in her via her own experience. I think, though, in some ways, like, you know, the, I think she sees, like, her mother sees, like, that point of success as, like, you know, stability. And as long as you've achieved that, like, you've already achieved something that I worked really hard for. Mm-hmm. And I think to Val, like, it's, she's like, that is good and great. And I'm so thankful for that. But I, like, want more. Mm-hmm. And more isn't necessarily me saying what you gave isn't good enough. It's me saying that I, I want to continue more of what you've given me to achieve something different. Yeah. Um, I think that's at the heart of it. And I'm so interested in that because I guess because of that internal struggle for me is like, I want to kind of honor, you know, all of this hard work that has been poured into uh, my own life and that mm-hmm. enables me to do so much of what I uh, have the honor and privilege of doing, even making films. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I do reflect on it and I do think, I would like to actively change some aspects of those traditions. Yeah, yeah, that's that's awesome. Um, and I want to talk a little bit more like behind the scenes stuff about the film. And it's going to be like so on the micro level compared to you know what we've just been talking about. But um, I'm curious a little bit because this is you know based on based on you know your mother's experience. Like, uh, how much did did you feel like obligated, or did you have to like get permission from her? How much did she know about the story when it was still in progress? Like, I'm just curious a little bit about, you know, this going from real life to, to a script and, you know, casting and everything like that, you know. Uh, how was that? How was that process? And how much producer credit does mom deserve? <laughs> I guess. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a great question. I think for, you know, early on, since I was so familiar with the experience, but I wanted to actively kind of create a new tradition in the making, on camera, behind the behind the camera. Mm-hmm. I think I made a decision pretty early on that um, I was going to take what I felt was the core of that story and what 
meant something to me today Mm -hmm. and then kind of build off of it and develop my own relationship. So I wanted to have my own unique relationship with this screenplay. And what I did for that is that um, I worked with my professor, Nick Tannis, who's an incredible professor and mentor in my life. And he was like, go research. Mm -hmm. He was like, go to all of these places that feel like institutions that wouldn't be made for Val. And so I would go and I'd spend hours in all these libraries in New York City that uh, and schools and academic um, types of spaces that in some ways I I like could see her struggling to fit in. Mm-hmm. I took that. I talked to also a lot of women who were pregnant in the 90s and I talked to them about what was their birth experience like? Yeah. Uh, were they working at the time? What kind of accommodations um, were made or were not made for them at the time? And how did that feel? So I did a lot of research on that end. I wrote the screenplay. I like went home for Thanksgiving and I was like, mom, I like wrote the screenplay and I'd really like to put it into production in a few months. Um, could you read it? And mm-hmm. she, you know, I think she was really surprised because I hadn't said anything to her about it. Yeah. Like at all. I was just like, oh, I'm writing this thing. Um, but when she read it, I think she like read the first two pages and kind of recognized what it was or what the story was. Mm-hmm. Um, and thankfully gave me her blessing because oh, no, I never nice. would have made it if she like didn't give me her blessing. So I was really like, please, mm-hmm. please like it. <laughs> um, so basically I did a lot of my own research to, to write it. And then it was kind of a shock to my mom. Yeah. Um, and so in casting, in casting these roles, like um, how difficult was that process or how long did it take you know, to find the, these characters are so close to you? Because I think that sometimes um, for directors, it's kind of it, it is hard to separate, you know, the reality, the real person from, you know, the character that is inspired by them in a script. And so, you know, I'm I'm curious, you know, how much of a process that was to find the right folks to kind of fill the film with sure i think one thing that really helped is that in my writing process i wrote about these characters extensively so i I wrote about their backgrounds i wrote about a lot of their motivations and that helped to separate the characters from the people Mm -hmm. and also characters that i could realistically portray within like a an 18 minute film right so i think that helped just to focus really specifically on the types of characteristics that I would be looking for um, in the casting room. And then I think once we got there, I was, you know, I, I was really happy that I had a partner. Um, her name is Estefania Geraldo, and she's also an actor in New York City and a good friend of mine. Um, and and she's Latina. And so it was really important that I think we found people who, you know, were the, the right kind of Latina for this role. Um, that had the right look, that was the right age, that spoke Spanish, that, um, you know, could then also deliver on these characteristics that we were looking for. Um, And I think one thing that was super interesting in that process is we were so excited to build this whole group that had, you know, all these really incredible Latinas together. Mm -hmm. And I think that was actually way more of a challenge than we thought. Like, I think, you know, in some ways, that was like a real experience right from the beginning of, of access and inclusion where it was actually really challenging to Mm -hmm. find, you know, to find lots of, uh, talented Latinas that were on places like a backstage or actors access and could, you know, have the, you know, could afford to kind of be part of a short film that was for a student project and, and they didn't get paid that way. So, 
I think that is one thing that's worth noting is that uh, that was a that was a unique challenge that I think we experienced in the beginning. I think that taught that was kind of an early example of like there are these other barriers that even exist in the nature of what we're doing. Um, and when you know we finally found Natalie and Bonnie, I think everything like clicked. Mm-hmm. Like we found Natalie through like friends, <laughs> wow, basically. And so it was really reaching much more into networks than it was relying on these places like uh, like these other websites and things mm-hmm. like that. Like I think that was actually what was key is like going back to our community and being like, who do you know or who do you think could be a potential for these types of things? Um, so I think that was a huge learning lesson right there. Yeah. Um, one thing that I kind of noticed, I'm sure it was intentional, was just um, since the film is called, you know, Steps of Valor, um, there's there's many different sets of stairs and steps and things throughout the film. Um, and so, like, you know, was that kind of something that carried through the script from the very beginning? Um, I, th- I think it's obviously, you know, kind of symbolic of um, of Val's journey in the film. But uh, but it's also kind of this, I don't know, this thing, this uh, pregnant women shouldn't be on ladders and things too, you know, necessarily. Um, and so, I mean, yeah, I'm curious, you know, that kind of um, symbol of steps and stairs throughout the film, you know, was that present from the beginning? Was that something that you kind of always wanted part of it? Like where in the process did that become, you know, this kind of core visual piece of the movie yeah I'm, I'm so glad you picked up on that I think um it was something that came up when I was researching and writing so mm-hmm. while I was going to these other you know really esteemed academic institutions to to write basically and to gather information I went to one particular university that um when I was in that library they they had you know I went to kind of every floor and I was kind of getting immersed in the space and I found that, you know, I went up these stairs and there was no elevator to get to them. But I was like, maybe if I just keep going upward, I'll find something interesting. Mm-hmm. And what I actually did discover was these like long, white, sterile hallways. And in the corner was uh, a room for mothers who were breastfeeding. Mm-hmm. And frankly, I found that really shocking because... I was like, this is the creepiest hallway in the world. Like who <laughs> wants to like, you know, wander down here to like do, you know, do something that they're probably going to have to do, you know, every few hours mm-hmm. or like that would be a very ordinary part of their life at that moment. Um, and I also thought about how inaccessible that space was. Like I could not locate an elevator for the life of me mm-hmm. to get there. I had to walk up all of these stairs and I thought how challenging that might be. So I think that experience kind of translated into like this is part of these things about barriers of like particularly in higher education where like sometimes you'll just you'll literally be in physical spaces that like we're not meant for you yeah and to get that as a constant reminder you know i think is a is a really impressionable part of the whole experience and a whole other barrier that you know i think when val would look to her left or to her right or even for me as a student, when I looked at my peers, I was like, we are not, we're being asked to do the same types of things at the same high level, but we're not experiencing the same types of hurdles to get there. Mm-hmm. And then I think that idea of steps kind of also rolled into, I thought about what does this moment mean in the in the grand course of Val's life? What did that moment mean 
for my own mother. And to me, it was like, it's just like one of those tiny steps forward. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a, it's a big moment, but it, it's like a small moment that is also a big moment. Um, and I thought that that's kind of what this was, is that even in Val's life, like this was, this was one test of the many she's taken. It's, you know, one test that just happens to kind of lead her closer to graduation and then her professional um, ambitions. But it's, it's also huge because it's one test that does lead to those, you know, professional goals yeah. and then opens up like a whole other aspect of like, you know, opportunity for, for advancement, opportunity for wealth, opportunity for like wealth development in her family. And I feel like in a way that that's kind of what happened in my family too. Yeah. And I mean, and so you it's see, a little step. yeah, yeah. And I mean, and you see it when, um, you know, she, she, finishes spoilers but she finishes the test you know and she just like kind of has this moment of just like it all coming out um with with you know surrounded by the whole family um and i think it is kind of that that thing of it just like building and building and building because like i mean even just the example of the classroom steps you know that everyone else had to come in grab their test sit down do the whole test right and she had to go up the same set of stairs two three times during the test while taking the test taking breaks to breastfeed in the hallway it's just like you know it's it is this like physically and just like emotionally grind grinding thing you know yeah not to mention like the mental feet yeah like she's still being tested on material that is like challenging yeah stacks and stacks of books that you know she's pulling at the library and um and yeah um and so uh, I'm curious a little bit just about your kind of journey as a filmmaker to this point, because, you know, I think um, I'm only interested, especially, you know, kind of the, the goals you mentioned before of, you know, kind of creating stories that, you know, are kind of equitable in nature and, you know, making sure that um, in front of and behind the camera, there's diversity and inclusion. And so um, I'm curious, you know, when, where, where did you start with with filmmaking as kind of a, a goal and a passion and you know what kind of brought that to that realization that you know you want to carry your heritage through it and you know have maybe maybe a second goal with um with filmmaking rather than just making movies you know you want it to kind of mean more to audiences and to yourself sure i think for me my my journey as an artist really began when I went to a French film festival in my hometown. Yeah. I think that was the first time that I had ever like seen movies beyond like a blockbuster and seen these kind of independent um, spaces. And also I think more importantly, like seeing a director, mm-hmm. you know, I think or seeing actors or seeing producers and, and, and realize like, Oh, those are like real people. Um, so I think that was my first you know thought because I just, I didn't have any, there's no one in my family that's from the entertainment industry. Um, so that was the first time that I think that it dawned on me, like this is a real career and pursuit that people do. To me, I think not having this, like this was not part of my day to day or like being super familiar with it um, or knowing that many people, just seeing them kind of on stage who were, who were filmmakers. Mm-hmm. I think it felt kind of daunting to start making films like right away. So I, I took like what I thought was the first half step of becoming a photographer. Yeah. And I think I was like, as long as I'm like making images, 
that will be positive and it will like contribute towards this thing. So Mm -hmm. I actually had a photography business when I was in high school. Um, And then from there, I think I was like, this is a nice space, but like film is really, I think where I could see like a long-term interest, long-term passion and also opportunity. Um, And I think along the way, like I've always had a heart for women's experiences. You know, I think sometimes people, like one question that like, I've heard asked that I think is really poignant is like, what are the things that like break your heart and what are the things that make your heart? Yeah. And I think what breaks my heart is like when I see, you know, uh, different stories about women's struggles that are different from others, like because they're women or because they're women with multiple intersections of identity. Mm-hmm. I think it breaks my heart. Like when there's abuse, I, it breaks my heart when there are barriers it makes my heart when I see people who are able to overcome them or when I see, you know, true understanding about their path. And so um, I think, you know, that's been a big part of it. And so like for a long time in my life, my mom was a breast cancer survivor. Uh, she's a four-time cancer survivor. So wow. I think there were a lot of women in my life and in my household growing up. Um, I've always volunteered with a lot of organizations that served and supported women's experiences. So I think that's kind of where this idea of, you know, that's kind of where filmmaking and then, you know, this is where my heart and my passion is. And these are the types of things I think a lot about kind of came together. And to me, I just can't say that I like to tell these stories about women's experiences and about people who rise up and about, uh, you know, generational conflict Mm -hmm. without also acknowledging, you know, the implications that go into making that today. And I think that's been another part of my experience where I've also had the opportunity to intern at some really fabulous places. Like I, I interned at uh, Martin Scorsese's Sicalia Productions, you know, early in college. Mm-hmm. And I saw how important things that he did early in his career affected later in his career. I also saw kind of the, the hallmarks of history that are all a part of his office. And that made me think about you know, history that I could create or change. Yeah. I worked at Hello Sunshine, Reese Witherspoon's production company, and that taught me a lot about uh, the portrayal of women's experiences as well as, you know, how do you make it inclusive behind the scenes because that's a big part of her company structure yeah. um, in a business sense. And then I also worked at Annapurna Pictures as an intern. Uh, and I think similarly, that was a really impactful experience because so much of their leadership team has been helmed by women over the years. So that was an important thing for me to see. So I think for me, the intersection of, you know, women's experiences and then access and inclusion in the making of the film have really come together based off of a a lot of women who have been huge contributors to my life, a lot of organizations as well. So one of them that's been a major part of my life is Academy Gold, which is with the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. Uh, That was a program that I did a few years ago, but it's really become a huge community that I'm part of. Um, And their whole mission is really about promoting access and inclusion in Hollywood's biggest institutions. Uh I think for me in particular, uh, actually right before we made this film, you know, as we were in pre-production planning, they very generously offered me the opportunity to be a trophy presenter at the 91st Academy Awards. So that was an incredible experience that I'll certainly never forget. But I think it also is one that really did show me that there's, there's a new future dawning for emerging filmmakers. 
uh, being on that stage, you know, I think made me hungry to return to it one day. So I'm really incredibly thankful for that experience and having that as now part of a, a new part of my history. They all play together and build on each other and have really contributed to me being like, this is the space and the type of filmmaker that I'd love to be in. Wow, that's fantastic. Is there anything, you know, for folks that watch this and want to keep up to date with your work, want to see more? Um, is there anything what you're working on now that you can like tell us a little bit about that people can look forward to? Sure. I think the best places to keep up with my work or things that I'm working on um, are my Instagram, so Natalia C. Bell, mm -hmm. or also my website, also nataliacbell.com. So keeping it consistent. Um, but for me, I think what I'm working on currently is my big project is that I'm working on my first feature screenplay. Nice. So I'm excited about that. Yeah. It's about uh, it's about a woman who is she embarks on a road trip in order to secure her divorce, and in that road trip, she's trying to find her husband who has stolen all of their money. Wow. And I think yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think for me, part of what that is like kind of uh, themes that I'm interested in developing is like how. Uh, our identity is shaped by our, you know, social environment. And then also how divorce in a way can be, a, you know, I think for this character, divorce is a place that changes her whole perspective, like where she was kind of it's inspiring to something more traditional. The divorce really starts to break down um, what she really wants her identity and her, you know, role in society to look like mm -hmm. uh, in a post-married world. Yeah. Wow. Well, I think uh, I'm looking forward to seeing that. I hope other people that, um, you know, enjoyed this film will, too. Uh, and yeah, so thank you so much for making Steps of Valor, submitting it to Nifty. We're so glad we included it this year. Um, and thank you for taking the time to talk a little bit more about it. This was great. This is awesome. Thank you all so much for having me. And I have to say Nifty has been one of my favorite experiences in these weird times. Um, I yeah. think it's so special that you all took so much time to organize things from like the film summit to the types of programming to even opportunities like this. So thank you. Awesome. Yeah. No, thank you so much. Uh, and thank you for listening. For more information on Nifty 2020, the talented youth and more emerging filmmakers, check out nifty.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter at NFFTY or on Instagram at Nifty Film. And for more podcasts from Party Fish Media, search Party Fish Media wherever you listen to podcasts or follow us on social media at Party Fish Media. Party Fish Media acknowledges that it operates and records on indigenous Duwamish and Puget Sound Coast Salish land that is still home to the Duwamish tribe. This land is stolen in violation of the Point Elliott Treaty of 1855. We are committed to uplifting the name of these lands and community members from these nations who reside alongside us. For more information on this land, its people, or ways you can help, visit duwamishtribe.org or realrentduwamish.org.